This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast about strategies and tips for making your daily life happier. This week, we'll talk about why you might write an aphorism, and we'll take a deep dive into the question of what's in people's minds when they press us to accept food or drink. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who constantly and naturally comes up with aphorisms. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and um, Gretchen, I'm flattered that you think I'm such a source of <laughs> aphorisms. I don't feel that way, but I appreciate that you the stage. <laughs> Now, holiday season is coming closer. We have some ideas for you if you need some gifts. Yes. First of all, the gift of podcast. Yes. A podcast is a fantastic gift. It's free. It's quick. It's easy. Personal. It's personal. You pick the one that is perfect for the recipient. It's great for a kid to give to an older person um, if they don't have any money, a college student who's strapped for cash, people who don't want more stuff. A lot of people like they don't want more stuff, but you can give them a podcast. Go to giftofpodcast.com and there you'll be able to get a PDF where you can fill it out. And it's like a little certificate that you can, you know, tie up with a bow and hand to somebody or stick it in their stocking or whatever. And then there's the second page that's a reminder about how to sign up and subscribe if you need a cheat sheet. So go to giftofpodcast.com and give it to everybody you know if you've got a podcast idea that will make them happier. And then Gretchen, you will provide people with book plates. Yes, this is an actual thing that I will mail to you. So to sign up, you go to GretchenRubin.com slash resources, and there's a direct link to the sign-up form. And a book plate is like a sticker where I'll be like, you know, to Elizabeth, onward and upward, Gretchen Rubin, and you can put it in a copy of the book. So if you're going to give a copy of one of my books to somebody, 
this is a way for me basically to sign it without us, you know, mailing the book back and forth. You can put the book plate in there and it will be, yeah, and I will personalize it um, and send it. Um, but please do these quickly if you think you want to do it because it takes some time for me to like get them in the envelope and get it addressed and mailed and everything. So if you want to have it in time for the holidays, it's like put in your request soon so that I have plenty of time to get it to you. Again, that's GretchenRubin.com slash resources for the book plate sign up form. And of course, Gretchen, we have to mention we now have merchandise. You can give happier <laughs> merchandise for Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate. Yes. Or if you have, uh, if somebody wants to wear their, obli- their obliger tendency or their upholder tendency, questioner, rebel, you want a mug, you want a tote bag, we got stuff there. GretchenRubin.com slash merch. It's so fun to have merch tonight, Elizabeth. I love it. Yes. Check it out. Gretchen, you know I love a good mug. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I was very picky so, about the mugs. <laughs> you were, we went back and forth. We went back and forth. And it turns out there's many ways to design a mug. Yes. <laughs> So listen, this week our Try This at Home tip is to write an aphorism um, or, or many aphorisms. So Gretchen, before we get into why we should write some aphorisms, what exactly is an aphorism? Now, with just about everything in life, um, people do argue about definitions. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different wrinkles on it, but this is how I would define it. An aphorism is a concise, powerful, general observation attributed to a particular person. So it's not a proverb, which is like a stitch in time saves nine, which is just sort of like folk wisdom. This is something where somebody is credited with kind of a general observation. And they are short and sharp. Mm. They're kind of grand generalizations. And because they are very brief, they manage to suggest a lot in few words. And so you're thinking, wow, what does this mean? Do I agree? When an idea is expressed in a short, powerful way, it's kind of more suggestive and has more power in our minds. Well, what are some examples of your favorite aphorisms? Okay, well, I have a bazillion of these. <laughs> and I don't always agree with them. or And some of them I'm not sure I even understand, but they're all thought-provoking. So here are a few of my current favorites. One is, don't cut what you can untie mm. by Joubert. Interesting. This Okay, so no one ever talks about Marie von Ebner Eschenbach. She's an amazing aphorist. I love her aphorism. I love this one from her. You can sink so fast, you think you're flying. Mm. Ooh. And then here's a modern person, Sarah Manguso, um, wrote this. Failure is good preparation for success, which comes as a pleasant surprise. But success is poor preparation for failure. That is so true. true. Yes. So true. And here's a great one, which I actually, now that I've read it, I find myself quoting it all the time from Carl Sagan. He said, if you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. Oh, that's great. Isn't that good? (gasps) But Elizabeth, one of the things I love about you, my sister at this stage, you just, you're like drop miking on these things all the time. You set, you come up with these aphoristic, I'm like running around behind you with a notebook, (laughs) right? You don't even notice that you're saying them. Well, Gretchen, I actually um, came up with a good one the other day. I thought even in the moment, because you're always looking for these, I actually (laughs) noted it and thought, oh, I got to tell Gretchen this. Oh, okay. What is it? Well, I was um, talking to a friend of mine who's a stay-at-home mom, and she had been feeling insecure about not having a, quote, career. 
and and being with other moms who do have careers, and this is a very um, common, you know, universal thing. I think that stay-at-home moms go through that that feeling. And so yeah. I said to her, "It's not what you do; it's what you offer." And ah. I was like, "Ooh, I think that's really true," and I'm going to remember that. Meaning that people value your relationship because you're just like a cool, interesting person who has a lot to offer. It's not like right. It's career? not like. It's it's not about, oh, I have this job. It's about, yes. are you contributing to conversation? Are you yeah. an interesting person? Are you dynamic yeah. and compelling? And I think people, you know, just sometimes feel like all that anyone cares about is the label of their job, but it's really right. not true. It's what you offer. But see, I think this is a perfect example of why this is a great kind of creative and interesting exercise, which is like you sort of had a big idea, which kind of was like a two paragraph long idea of like, what does it mean? But then you managed to kind of really pack it into one kind of symmetrical statement where it's really punchy. And it kind of like you say that I'm like, I get it. I get what you're saying in just this one sentence. And probably it took you a while to crystallize it to that level. But now it's this very, very powerful statement. And I think that's how an aphorism comes to be. Yeah, well, I think it's also something that had been on my mind a lot. Yes. So it, no, it's, 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 it, you're yeah. thinking, you're reflecting. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I was, I must admit, I was pleased with myself for that one. <laughs> um, but how do you go about trying to come up with them? If, so, well, if our listeners want to go do this, try this at home, how do they do it? Well, I think part of it is like this big idea, like an idea. Often we have like an idea or an argument that we find ourselves saying over and over again. And so it's really to take this step to push yourself to see, well, can you crystallize it in a very eloquent expression? Now, they tend to be more powerful and you will often see in aphorisms things like alliteration, paradox, rhyme, Mm. symmetry, like your thing is symmetry. It's not what you do. It's what you offer. So those are two kind of symmetrical things. Uh, Surprise, like using a word in a surprising way. Like some of mine, the days are long, but the years are short. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the reversal there. Outer order contributes to inner calm. That's symmetrical, Mm -hmm. you know, and so then those are have more power in the mind. It's a good brain game. Like, it's it's a good way to just sort of keep yourself occupied trying to think of these. No, it really is. And I have to say, it's really fun. Like, you know how you said you had this feeling of, of sort of satisfaction mm-hmm. when you were able to articulate it? I've had some um, where I was like, oh, my gosh, I love it. One of mine is uh, the body can be denied, but it won't be ignored. Mm. I love that. You can't gorge on perfume. I've heard you say that. And I'm like, oh, that's I so love true. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, no garden, no weeds. Mm. No weeds, no garden. Kind of, mm. you know. And then this is one of my favorites. Red is the salt of color. That I'm is with so color. true. I came up with that when I was working on my color, my, my color pilgrimage. I was like, ooh, that's good. That's good. That is really good. Oh, and Gretchen, I know you're collecting um, proverbs of the professions. Yes. So these are not aphorisms because they're not attributed, but I'm also collecting these because each profession has kind of these funny proverbs. Like a gardener said to me, first year sleep, second year creep, third year leap. So that's what mm-hmm. gardeners tell themselves. A hospice worker said, people die how they lived. That's profound. So that's something that's worth thinking about. Um, somebody told me that her basketball, that her son's basketball coach said to her, you can't teach tall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And then with Eliza and I, I think I mentioned a while back that we went to see, the, we went to take this cheese class together. And this guy who was like a cheesemonger and wine specialist said, 
what grows together goes together, meaning mm. that the cheese and the wine from the same region usually are complementary. I, li- I like that. So that's like a good pro- So I'm collecting proverbs of the profession. So send them to me if you have a proverb from your profession. Yeah, and Gretchen, I have to say, this exercise reminds me of our Try This at Home of writing a haiku, which yes. people enjoyed so much and sent us so many awesome haikus. Yeah. Um, and it's also a bit of like writing your manifesto or your personal commandments or even our one-word themes for the yes. year, just because yeah. it's creative and it's a way to challenge ourselves to distill these big ideas into a succinct form. Yeah, it's surprisingly fun and it feels very like intellectually creative and satisfying. Gretchen, this is going to be great. And I'm sure we will be having a follow-up segment where we share the aphorisms we receive. Yes, and brace yourself. I am doing a whole aphorism project. So like, <laughs> yes, the aphorisms of a, a mundo. Um, uh, so let us know what you come up with um, or your Proverbs of the Professions, uh, to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes. This is episode 248. So it would be happiercast.com slash 248 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we've got a happiness hack related to our recent discussion about our need for sunlight. But first, this break. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So listen, it's time for a happiness hack. And this is related to a previous discussion that we had in episode 244 about the UV index. And it turns out 
I was like, how do you know the UV index? Well, it turns out this is a very easy thing to find out. Yeah, we were discussing it because in 244, we were talking about how we all should be going outside more, especially in the morning to get morning sunlight. But we weren't sure how to deal with um, the danger of of that. So it turns out you can check out the UV index. Um, Most weather apps have that information. The default weather app on the iPhone has that information. If you have an Apple Watch, you can see it on your Apple Watch. I have an Apple Watch. I did not know that. There's like somebody mentioned dark sky as a great way to have it. Gretchen, I just pulled it up on my phone and I can tell you the UV index in Encino right now is zero. Oh, that's good for you because it's usually so high. So Ashley said also that she uses the app UV Lens, which shows the UV index for your location and lets you know what times of days are okay to venture out without sunscreen. And you can also input your skin type. Mm. Um, So that's like a thing. But here's something interesting that I found on the, the website of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and I'll post a link to this. They said what to make of the UV number. Zero to two, you can safely be outside with minimal sun protection. So, Elizabeth, you're at a zero. You can do that. Three to seven, protection needed. Seek shade during the late morning through mid-afternoon. Use SPF and protective clothing, broad-brimmed hat and sunglasses. Eight or above, extra protection. Do all those be even more careful. Yes. So, once again, Gretch, technology can be our friend. Yes. And now it's time for the deep dive. So, back in episode 243... I raised the question about people. I was like, I'm curious, what is in your mind if you are the person who is encouraging others to eat and drink when they say they don't want to? What's in your mind? What's in your experience? I understand what the experience is of the person who's feeling the pressure to eat or drink, but what's in the mind of the person who's really doing the encouraging? And what's funny is we heard from so many people. When you posed that question, Gretchen, I didn't think anyone was going to write in and say, well, as a matter of fact, I pushed food and drink on people. And here's why. But they did. And we got a lot of really interesting responses. Yeah. And it seems like um, there were there were some categories of where people were coming from. The first one was people who were thinking, I want you to enjoy yourself. And I want you to know that you're wonderful just the way you are. You say you're trying to change. You don't need to change. You're great. Another one is I want you to participate so that this moment feels complete and special for us. And then there's the, I'm a moderator who feels uncomfortable when others deny themselves or declare certain things off limit, because to me, that seems rigid and unhealthy. There are the people who feel, I want to indulge myself, and I'll feel more comfortable doing that if you indulge too. So I am just going to come right out and be my killjoy self (laughs) and say that I do think that in many of these instances, it is well-intentioned, and it can be coming from a place of love. These can all be perceived really as self-centered in that you want other people to behave a certain way because of the way it makes you feel. Yes. I want you to, I want this moment to feel complete, so I want you to have it. I want to indulge myself. I feel uncomfortable when people say they're not going to eat something. I want to feel like a good hostess. All these things, it's really about how do I feel about this situation? I want you to behave a way because of the way it's going to affect the way I feel in this situation. And this reminds, speaking of aphorisms, this reminds me of Oscar Wilde, who wrote, selfishness is not living as one wishes to live. It is asking others to live as one wishes to live. Mm. And so it's really, it's really saying that my experience is more important than what you're saying you want your experience to be. 
Yep. So we heard from a lot of people. Yes. Um, Jenny said, I am not a pusher myself, but I have definitely felt a twinge of disappointment when a friend won't partake fully in a meal. So I think I can speak to this issue. I think there are primarily two things going on. First, most people see getting together with friends at a restaurant is not just a meal, but an activity they're doing together. And just as you would be disappointed if you planned an outing to a dance class and then your friend didn't want to join in, so too with a meal. So while of course it's fine to have a low-carb item instead of pasta as your appetizer, it throws off the whole rhythm of the evening if one person doesn't order an appetizer at all. The same is true for dessert. As for alcohol, while ordering a soda doesn't disrupt the flow, it just seems a little awkward and not fun if one person doesn't want to drink at least a little. Second, people want partners in crime. If everyone at the table is cheating on their diets, then everyone gets a pass. If one person sticks to their diet, it makes everyone feel a little guilty that they're not doing the same. And who wants that at a nice dinner that's supposed to be fun? So, I mean, this is kind of what we're talking about. It's about how she feels. Right. And I think, you know, it's natural to feel a twinge of disappointment when somebody doesn't do something that you would like them to do. But it's sort of like, why is your twinge of disappointment trumping Mm -hmm. somebody else's decision, like not to order an appetizer? Right. And so, you know, I think that, again, it's sort of maybe acknowledging well, it would, you know, I kind of wish everybody would join in, but, you know, we're all here anyway, um, having fun and having a night out with friends. Like, it's not so important that we're all doing exactly the same thing in order to have this, this kind of connection. Andy wrote, you put out a call for the people that pressure others into accepting food. I believe I am one such. I'm a rebel and a moderator. I have a friend who is an upholder and abstainer, but she is not usually completely abstaining from anything, just always saying I shouldn't. She is also a lot more fun when indulging, whether that's rich food or alcohol. I never pressure the alcohol because of my family's issues with it, but I'm willing to go along for the ride anytime, which leaves my husband to describe us as fire and gasoline some nights. When I make an unusually decadent recipe, I want to share and enjoy the experience. I think that's the root cause, having a shared experience. Because when not indulging, this friend is not very good at participating in shared experiences and is very rigid about her schedule, to-do list, etc. Well, I think actually this person might be an obliger, not an upholder. That sounds like obliger Mm -hmm. to me. But this sounds like, it sounds like she wants her friend to be different. Like she's like, I want you to be, I want, I want you to kind of abandon your, your roots and come be a rebel with me. Even when the person's saying like, oh, I really don't want to do that. Of course, what's interesting is there's the element here of certain people will gravitate toward pushers yes. of this stuff yes. because they want yes. it to be pushed yes. on them. Yes. So maybe yes. we can't blame this friend yes. for doing that because it's clear yes. that's the dynamic of the friendship. Those are the terms that have been set. And that's why I think it's an obliger because that's why obligers mm-hmm. are drawn to rebels because rebels are like, we don't have to follow the rules. Come with me. We're going to do what we want. And obligers are excited about that. About that. As an upholder, I'm saying, I would just be like, no, I won't do that. Right. Or like, it would really be make me very, very uneasy. I wouldn't be drawn to that. I would, I would be, I, I would find it distressing. 
So I think this is an obliger. Amy says, I've been one of those people encouraging others to have something. I do not press it, but it's possible to be perceived that way. Your talk of abstainers helped me a lot because I'm a hardcore moderator and it's part of my philosophy of life, not just with food. I don't like the idea of restricting anything. It makes me uncomfortable to feel cut off and goes against a moderator philosophy. I want others to enjoy the experience and not deprive themselves. I don't want people to arbitrarily rarely decide to give something up without thinking about consequences. This bothers me more when people give up carbs or go gluten-free when they aren't celiac or whatever. Well, so this is fascinating. And I think that this is, this is the importance of understanding that people are really coming from different places. Abstainers and moderators just feel different. And as a moderator, it does make you feel uneasy. It does feel healthy and rigid. But once you understand that some people are abstainers and that that's actually easier and better and freer and feels better to them, then you can just say, well, they, they're not doing what I would do. Right. Yeah. Now, and here's the interesting thing. You would think, I mean, at least it would seem to me, if you were like, who's more judgmental and who's more pushy that other people should do it their way, you might think it's abstainers because mm-hmm. abstainers sounds kind of more extreme. But in my observation, moderators are far more zealous in trying to get people to do it their way. They feel like their way is the right way and they are really pushing people to to be moderators. And I'm just, you know, I, no one's more, you know, I'm just such an abstainer. I'm like, it just doesn't work for everyone. It it doesn't feel helpful and good and healthy and free and like, like a good balance. Mm -hmm. It feels, it's not good. So I think just recognizing this is coming from my moderator self. It's not necessarily right for someone else. It's really helpful. Now, Alice writes, I am someone who sometimes puts pressure, intentional or not, on others to have a drink in a social setting like a dinner or happy hour. You asked what I'm thinking. When the event is getting started and someone says no thanks to a drink, it's like I feel the mood of the night and potential for fun shift into low grade. It's like we signed up for this and you're making others uncomfortable or self-conscious by not participating. As an obliger, I would personally always bend to the social mood so everyone is comfortable but also to maximize everyone else's potential for fun. Lately, I've been trying to suggest group activities that don't have drinking as a central element because I recognize this behavior isn't fun for me or the non-drinker. Well, that's so interesting that she recognized that about herself and is changing her behavior to accommodate. I mean, I think that's great. Right, to pick a different activity, like you pick brunch or some, or like, let's go for a hike or something where... Let's just change the whole thing so it's not, the, as she said, the central element. Rather than changing the people, it's like, let's just change the whole circumstance so it's not even noticeable that we're making this shift. Yeah. But I would say, also, Elizabeth, you're an obliger, so maybe you can speak to this. I think that she's also pointing out about why obligers feel like other people are being very inconsiderate or -hmm. feel resentful. Because as an obliger, you might say, like, look at somebody's birthday party, we all have to take a bir- piece of birthday cake or it's going to hurt the birthday person's feelings. Oh, you don't take a piece of birthday cake, but I have to. I feel like I have to. So why aren't you? And so I resent the fact that you're not doing it because I feel the pressure to do it so that the moment feels right. Whereas to someone like an upholder, I'm like, well, I have to keep my inner expectations. So the fact that it, you kind of expect me to do it doesn't really affect me that much. So this is, I can see why obligers would find this kind of situation could build resentment. Because they feel like, why isn't everybody participating the way I would participate? I do it even if I don't want to, because I want everybody to feel comfortable and have fun. Why don't you feel that responsibility? That seems inconsiderate to me. Whereas to the other tendencies, they're like, yeah, I don't feel that way so much. 
Yeah, no, I think obligers 100% do feel that way. It's like the birthday cake being a perfect example. Gretchen Sarah says, I will admit at my last gathering at my home, I was pushing brownies on everyone. The reason was because I didn't want to be left with a whole pan after everyone <laughs> left. I should have asked people to take them home, but most were going to other events afterward, and that probably would not have worked. But an even better new rule that I should enforce is if you make the food, you are responsible for getting rid of it, even if that means eating it yourself or throwing it out and not moving the duty of eating onto someone else. (laughs) This is a huge reason people push food is because they don't want it. I mean, I think that's got to be, for me, the number one reason I ever push food. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, we've all been there. Um, And and you see that like in an office all the time. It's like, oh, we have this, but I don't want it at home because I'll just eat it. So I'll bring it in here so you guys will eat it. So yeah, I think that her rule is a great rule, which is like, if I'm making, or people are like, well, I love to bake. And so it's like, I've had my fun. And it's like, well, but you're baking, but now I have to be exposed to the brownies or whatever, because you sort of had your fun part, but now this part of it is not, being the recipient of it is not the fun part for me. So I think that's a great rule for her to sort of say, you break it, you bought it. It's like <laughs> you baked it, you eat it or something. Uh-huh. I don't know. Marianne makes a really interesting point here too. She says, I think for some people, the five love languages may play a role. Mm. As someone whose love language is acts of service, I often find myself making my kids or husband's favorite treats as a way to show I love them. It could feel like a huge rejection to someone who gives and receives love this way if then that item is declined. It would be akin to someone with physical touch being pushed away when attempting to give a hug. Devastating. Now, realizing this is my love language, I feel fulfilled in just the act itself, independent of their responses to the treat. But that is often easier said than done. For those people out there who are acts of service, try to think of healthy ways you can still show your care while honoring the person's wishes. Run an errand for them, offer to do a task they dreaded, or ask them for a recipe they'd prefer you make. Even better, try to incorporate the receiver's love language into your act of service, if possible. Ahem, evil donor bringers, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Um, So I think this is great. The five love languages, I think this is really insightful. Yes, it's always great to think about the five love languages. Um, It can really help you understand where someone else is coming from. Gretchen, we have a voicemail from Jula, the topic of pushing unwanted food on others. We want to appear accepting and non-judgmental. So we love our friend the way they are, and we would never be the ones to suggest that they need to lose weight or that they need to change their behaviors to be better. So especially when someone is new to a change, they might still be on the fence about it or not truly committed. And we don't want to be the unfun friend who takes on the role of enforcer in case they slip up later on. And we know that most people who are attempting a diet or lifestyle change go back to whatever their lifestyle was um, before, so they don't succeed at it. I mean, Gretchen, her attitude is rather defeatist, but um, yeah. I get her point. Yeah, I get her point, but I also think that there's there's a big, there's kind of a false choice, which is like, either I encourage you to indulge or I'm the enforcer who's trying to keep you on track. I think you can just like not weigh in. You can right. just be like, the person's like, I don't want pie. You're like, okay. And then you just move on and yeah. just kind of mind your own business. You're neither enforcing nor unenforcing it. You're just sort of like letting them do what they want. And yes. so, and I think for a lot of people, just you not encouraging them 
would be helpful. Absolutely. You know, so I think that a lot of times if you just say nothing or do nothing or just kind of nod and move on and just like let them do whatever, if they don't take the pie, they don't take the pie. If they don't take the drink, they don't take the drink. You don't have to weigh in on that. You don't have to take action. Just move on. Yes. Minding your own business is often a great solution. (laughs) Yes. 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 Yeah. And Mary makes a a really interesting point that like a lot of times this is coming for uh, the desire for social cohesion with ritual and shared experience that like this is a very basic aspect of human nature. You know, we want to sit and eat and drink together. I think that's a great point. Different cultures have different expectations about how much you serve, how much you eat, what does it mean to be a good host, what does it mean to be a good guest, how, you know, there, there, that can be something that people are responding to. Yes. Um, One thing we were saying, Gretchen, is you can make other things rituals, like doing that flying wish paper that we've talked about on the podcast, or yeah. if it's Thanksgiving, going around the table and saying what you're grateful for, like replace the ritual with a different ritual. Right. So the focus is away from the eating and who's eating what and how much of it are they eating, but there's something else that's kind of taking the focus and then also, if you're the host, I think a lot of times, several people mentioned that as the host, you get a good feeling when you see people, you know, eating and drinking lots and with great enjoyment, and it can kind of hurt your feelings if they turn something down. But again, it's like you're bringing people together. They're there. They're having fun. Like whether or not they take that piece of pie is maybe not, you know, doesn't need to be the touchstone of your hospitality. Mm-hmm. One thing that came up over and over again in people's responses is that many people said, I am not a food pusher, but others may perceive it that way. (laughs) And, you know, I think if people perceive it that way, you are a food pusher. Yes. Uh, That's what it means to be a food pusher, is that people feel like you are pushing food on them. Whether or not you feel like you're being a food pusher, if they think you are, then you are. It's kind of like, Elizabeth, you remember a while back we talked about teasing. The research into teasing is that there's an asymmetry in teasing. The people who do teasing feel like it's very lighthearted. It's very fun. It's meant in a very kind of playful way. But then you ask the people being teased, how do they perceive it? Their perception is very different. They perceive it much darker, much more critical, much more controlling. And so there's an asymmetry. And so it could be you think it's kind of light and fun and encouraging, and this is all just about having a fun, festive mood. But to the people getting that message, it might have a very, very different ring in their ears. Yes, which is why we all should just let each other make decisions for ourselves and not put so much weight on, um, you know, what people are eating and drinking. Right. If people are there, they want to be there. If you're having fun around a table, let it be fun for everybody in their own way. Um, They may be making decisions that have nothing, you know, I'm not skipping the dessert you made because I don't like it or because you're not a good host or because it doesn't look good or because I'm inconsiderate. I don't eat sugar. I never Mm -hmm. eat sugar. I don't eat your sugar. I don't eat sugar at home. I don't eat sugar out in the world. Like, it's, it's just, that's just like my own little thing. And I want to come to your house and have fun. I don't want to feel like it has to be a big point of tension. You know, I think, again, it's like people are making all kinds of decisions for all kinds of reasons, and it's just good if we roll with it, whatever people are doing. Yes. Joseph Addison wrote, The important question is not, what will yield to man a few scattered pleasures, but what will render his life happy on the whole amount? And I think for some people to have their life happy on the the whole amount— They do yield up a few scattered pleasures. And it's like, okay, well, that's the way some people want to do it, you know? 
Yes, to each her own. This was absolutely fascinating. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. It was enormous food for thought. Mm-hmm. That's a bad pun. Um, so thank you. That was that was so interesting. Coming up, I give myself an overscheduling demerit. Usually, I I have an underscheduling demerit, but this is an overscheduling demerit. <laughs> but first, this break. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. As your kids get older, some things about parenting get easier. They can dress themselves. They can clean up after themselves, allegedly. Other things don't, like having conversations about money. The fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money unless they're actually in charge of it. That's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Yeah, Jack has Greenlight, and one thing I love is that it includes a chores feature where you can set up one-time or recurring chores and reward kids with allowance for a job well done. Gretchen, we used to mow the lawn. How much more motivated would we have been if we'd had funds deposited when we completed the hut chore? Mm -hmm. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash happier. That's greenlight.com slash happier to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash happier. We're so excited to introduce you to Great Jones. Great Jones makes high-quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that's so stunning, you won't want to put it away. They have everything from Dutch ovens to ceramic dishes to non-stick sheet pans. They've got everything you want. I have the Saucy, which is a terrific saucepan. It has curved sides. It has a pouring spout. It has a lid. And it looks so elegant. It's really a pleasure just to look at it on the counter, even before we're using it. Yes, I love all the colors. Yeah. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code HAPPIER. That's greatjones.com, promo code HAPPIER. Okay, time for demerits and gold stars. And Elizabeth, it's your week for demerit. Yes. So Gretchen, lately I've been in a bad habit of RSVP wishful thinking. (laughs) I am saying yes to things which I logically know I can't go to. Um, I have a lot of work to do right now. Sarah and I are really crunched. And the fact is I just can't do everything I want to do. So I keep saying I'll go to events and then canceling as opposed to just being honest with myself that I am not going to be able to go to said event. So now you're just going to try to be more realistic up front? I'm going to try because then I have this nagging thing for days or weeks in advance of like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to go to that thing on Tuesday. What am I going to do? Should I cancel now? Should I wait? Should I think maybe I'll be able to go? And it's just this whole drama playing out in my mind. And so it's really better if right now we all have seasons of sacrifice and I'm sort of entering into one and I need to just say, yes, it's important to say yes and show up and go to things, but it's also important to say no when you can't go to things. So I'm just going to 
try to embrace just doing what I can do and not overcommitting. Well, and as you say, it'll reduce the decision fatigue because you'll make yes. the decision once and then it, it'll never be on your calendar again. This way, it's sort of yes. like this constant nagging exactly. thing. Yeah, yeah. So, Gretch, what's your gold star? Well, I'm going to give myself a gold star. Um, so I went to my reu- my law school reunion, and two good friends of mine couldn't go. They both have big jobs, and they have a lot going on right now, so they couldn't make it. And so when I came back, I was thinking about all the people I had talked to, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to send both friends a little note and just give them, like, the random roundup. Because, you know, at a reunion, it's just, like, it's very hit or miss who you happen to talk to mm-hmm. and, like— Whatever. So I'm just like, okay, here's just like random notes of what everybody's up to. Like this person's doing that. This person has a new job. This person, whatever. And I just thought, I'll just do it because we were all thinking of them and wishing them the best. And and they had wanted to, both friends had wanted to attend and it just wasn't, you know, season of sacrifice. They couldn't go. And they both wrote back and were like, oh, I feel like I was there. It was so fun to hear about everybody. And like our school was very small. So basically you kind of know everybody and you're interested in everybody, you know, yeah. like, what are they doing? And so it was very easy for me, and I felt like they really did appreciate it. And I thought, well, I, you know, that's a, it's, it's also you want people to notice that you weren't there. You want people to be like, oh, that's right. I wish they were here. And so I made them feel like, oh, we, we, we were thinking of you, even though you weren't there. It's not like you're just forgotten. Well, Gretchen, I have to piggyback on your gold star and give one to Mindy in Kansas City because she did that for me. We recently had our high school reunion, and I couldn't go, once again, something I couldn't attend. And Mindy <laughs> called me the next day while it was still fresh and gave me the rundown <laughs> on everybody. And I, yeah. yes, it was so great. I felt like I was there. So thank you also to Mindy for doing the same thing for me that you did for your friends. Gold stars. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Write an aphorism. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you and what your aphorism was. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, our engineer, Bob Tabador, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch, Gretchen's on Instagram at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. The resources for this week. If you are doing your holiday gift-giving plans, most of my books make great gifts, if I do say so myself. Um, If you would like to request a free signed book plate, go ahead and do it now so I have plenty of time to get it done for you. Go to GretchenRubin.com slash books or go to the show notes for this, HappierCast.com slash 248 and you will be taken to a link where you can request the book plates. These are an actual physical thing I will mail to you, so I need to have your address and stuff. And in other news, if you'd like to present an in-person workshop with a group of adults to teach them how to use my four tendencies framework, you can learn more at workshop.gretchenrubin.com. And remember, Isaac Mizrahi will be joining us November 27th, so get your book read. Yes, so if you would like to read along with the Happier Podcast Book Club, Read I Am. It's so good. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Gretchen, didn't somebody say there's a shadow rule with the UV thing? Yes. An easy way to tell about how much UV exposure you're getting. If your shadow is taller than you are in the early morning and late afternoon, your UV exposure is likely to be lower. If your shadow is shorter than you are, which is like around midday, 
you're being exposed to higher levels of UV radiation. So you need to look for the shade and protect your skin and your eyes. So your shadow knows. Good to know. From the Onward Project.